welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 112 for Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. What a year it's been. There has been a pandemic that has impacted so many institutions. We've talked here on this podcast about how it's affected libraries. Also, very much, of course, it's affected schools and events in the gaming space, like PAX East, which is now not happening. But nonetheless, a lot of people are still finding ways to move forward and progress their educations and their careers. And I'm very excited today to talk to somebody who's been doing exactly that. A recent college graduate of my own alma mater, WPI, a recent hire of Other Ocean Interactive, where they have the title of game designer, and an organizer for Boston Postmortem in my own hometown of Boston. Please join me in welcoming Kate Olgeen. Hello, Kate. Hello. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. We've exchanged a few tweets before, and I've enjoyed the content you've been putting out. I'm very excited at your new position at Other Ocean Interactive. That's great. Oh, I'm very excited about it. It's, it's, been, it's been a grand old time. Love to have a job. I can imagine looking for a job during a pandemic has not been the scenario you imagined when you enrolled at WPI. I do want to talk about your new job, but let's go in chronological order and let's talk about your education. You majored in interactive media and game design, or IMGD, at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, or WPI, in central Massachusetts, which is also where I went and where other alumni of this podcast, like Francesca Carletto Leon, went. So tell me about IMGD. Did you go to WPI specifically to enroll in that program? Did you transfer into it from computer science? How did that happen? At some point in high school, I had the realization that I think most game developers do, which is, you know, you're playing a video game and you think, wow, this is fun. And then you have the thought, oh, someone made this like as a job. They made this for money and they made their living doing this. Uh, and, and that's a crazy realization for, you know, when you're in high school and you don't have any concept of a job, really, aside from, you know, like flipping burgers or whatever, um, or the standard career path of, I don't know, lawyer, doctor, whatever. Um, so I, I had that thought. Uh, I was very fortunate that my parents were very supportive of me. Uh, not not everyone not everyone's are when you're like, hey, I'd like to make video games for a living. <laughs> so uh, I decided, you know, poked around, looked for colleges, uh, WPI for you know a, a couple of reasons, just atmosphere. I like Massachusetts. You know, it, it, it all ended up coming together for me. WPI, that was the one. And you're originally from New England, so it wasn't that far. Yeah, yeah, that was an important thing to me. I, I wanted to be close to home if possible, because um, I, I I am in Connecticut right now uh, and before then. <laughs> uh, hopefully, getting back to Massachusetts soon, though. In the last decade or so, a lot more schools have started offering interactive media and game design programs. Places like NYU in New York City, and even Becker College, right, literally across the street from WPI. What other schools did you look at, and what made you choose WPI? Yeah, I looked at, uh, let me think, I looked at Champlain, I looked at Northeastern, I looked at Becker, uh, I looked at UConn, I looked at Hampshire, uh, and I looked at RPI. 
And it was it was a variety of things that made me like WPI. Part of it was again being close to home. Uh, part of it was I, I just liked how small the campus was. Uh, and another thing was, uh, you know, all all of them really did like you know all all of those colleges like give you the hard sell. You know, they they're like we're come spend thousands of dollars uh, to to be here for four years, uh, and hopefully you'll have learned a thing. Um, and actually at WPI, uh, they had just gone through this crazy faculty shakeup, which I learned later. Uh, they had gone through this crazy faculty shakeup uh, where like the head of the IMGD program left and like a bunch of faculty had also left uh, from what I recall. And so they they gave the presentation and I don't honestly remember all that much about the presentation, to be honest, but I do remember I caught up, I, I, I ran into the uh, guy who was giving the presentation he was then the acting head of the department i believe or the program uh, joshua rosenstock and uh i ran into him and at that time i wanted to do game writing that was before i learned that game writing is like one of the hardest jobs you can get, try and get uh like right out of school or just for games in general um but uh i, I wanted to do game writing and i ran into him and i was like hey i, I want to do game writing and i didn't like hear anything official about it uh, and he was super cool super nice um and uh yeah that, that that was one of the one one of the reasons that i decided you know what i think i'll do it i'll give it a go but you were discouraged from pursuing game writing as in like script writing narrative design etc yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily discouraged. Like no one, no one sat me down and said you shouldn't do game writing anymore. Um, and honestly, game writing is still a thing I would like to potentially try out in the future. Although right now I'm, you know, more than happy with where I'm at. The the thing about game writing, from from what I have heard, from, uh, from what I heard from industry professionals, what I heard from faculty, who, I, I like the faculty at WPI. They they uh, or the MG faculty at WPI. They're very supportive, but. Uh, I, you know, I kept on hearing over and over and over again, um, like game writing is one of the hardest jobs to get period uh, out of out of school or just in general for for game development because there's there's tons of people who want to do game writing. It's like uh, one of my old boss at Firehose. He he at one point said to me, "Now we hired you to do audio, um, but we usually have a guy who does like audio for us outside of that." Uh, and so think about all the indie companies that do their own audio and how hard that is. And now think about all the indie companies that do their own writing. Um, so, so game writing, just, just really hard. And I thought, well, I like writing, but do I like it enough to suffer <laughs> for, for that, that, much, <laughs> for that long? <laughs> and then I decided, uh, no, I, I would be, I would be more than happy to do other game development stuff. But then of course I switched to design, which is also very difficult, not as difficult. I like to get a job and write out, but not as difficult, but still really tough. But you know, I, I, that, that one I was more willing to make the concession for. Did you already have experience in any area of, uh, creating a game, game development, prior to enrolling at WPI? Like, had you done some programming in high school? I took uh, I took AP Computer Science, which was, like, just, you know, it helped me figure out Java. Uh, my teacher there was super cool, super nice. Shout out to Miss Corcelli. Um, I, I had, I knew AP Computer Science, but I hadn't really, like, I, I hadn't really applied it very much. I uh, I failed the AP test, or at least I didn't. I didn't fail, but I did not get enough to, you know, like warrant any sort of transfer of credit. Um, and I, I think my final project for that class, I did like I, I tried to emulate the Gen Gen One like Pokemon, uh, the the way that Gen One Pokemon battles work. Um, 
I did it in a super hacky way with like a million if statements and it was super not good, but I was very proud of it. Um, other than that, I hadn't really had that much experience like actually making games. Now, when you start in interactive media and game design at WPI, is this like a game jam where within a month you have something to show for your effort? How long were you at WPI before you had your own game? So the very first class I took at WPI, uh, which was IMGD 1001, uh, in that class, at least in the in the version I took it, and you know, different professors will teach it different ways. Um, but in the version I took it, uh, it is the the second half of that class is basically uh, a game jam where you 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 work in a team to make a game. Now, whether or not you have a finished game at the end of that point uh, is 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 subject to your team and also just you know you and and all that. But uh, ideally, you do have that. But af- after that, there's honestly a little bit of a drought, and I. F- I f- I, from my my <laughs> after that there's a bit of a drought from what i've from people i've talked to at other games colleges that's not uncommon that the actual curriculum itself won't give you like too many projects you're expected to do it on your own um most professionals and like whoever just expect expect that of you you know you go to school for games you're you're making games inside of class and outside of class uh do i love that no but do i love making games yes uh, so, so I, I, uh, by the time I finished my freshman year of WPI, I think I counted and then I, you know, lost count at some point. I had made 11 games of varying sizes cause I went to every single game jam possible. I was doing miscellaneous stuff outside of that. I was trying to turn every game that I had into a class, into some sort of project, uh, because someone said the words portfolio to me and I thought, Oh boy, and I really started to buckle down. Wow, that is so many games. And yeah, WPI is a very intense place. I found that most of my classmates and I had the bandwidth to really commit ourselves to maybe one extra curricular outside of class. Sounds like you went a little bit beyond that. <laughs> um I actually, yeah, I, uh, I I went to the the game development club developers as it was called at the time because the game development club did other stuff that wasn't making games. It was kind of a weird thing, and I, I went to like every single meeting of that and and uh, and and just threw myself at it. Um, and I, I think it was uh, halfway through sophomore year, I actually became the president of it, which was exciting. Um, and uh, in the meantime, the diversity and claim diversity in games club got revived. It had been uh, out for a few years and or a year or two. I don't know how long actually, but uh, the diversity in games club got revived, and so I got involved in that. Uh, and outside of that, I actually did uh, I did acapella. That was my one non game related thing that I did was I sang songs on the weekend. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Acapella. W- which group were you in? Well, uh, I think there's asymmetric is one of the groups. I was in I was in uh, the Technicords. Oh, amazing! Yes, they were they were there when I was there. Oh, that's crazy, man! They've really been around a long a long time. That's the women's acapella group, right? Yeah, yeah. They used to be called Interstate Eight. Yes, because there were eight of them, and they were from different states, right? <laughs> that's right. Which is a name that didn't really scale, so they changed it. <laughs> but oh wow, are they still putting out albums nowadays, or are CDs sort of gone the way of eight tracks? Yeah, I don't think they, uh, at least while I was there, we didn't do albums, but we still do a big old show every year and have a good time. The Audio Files puts out albums now. Cool. The big show, is that Acapella Fest? Uh, that's, I think, 
oh man, like I think each group like has their own big show and all the other ones perform at it. So I think uh, Simple Harmonic Motion does Aka Acapella Fest. And we have our own show, which is uh, Temptations from Blank. It's always Temptations from something. Um, so <laughs> I love that. If I am ever back in Massachusetts and if this pandemic ever ends, I will have to go to the Temptations show. <laughs> I highly recommend. So one of the experiences that you had at WPI, in addition to making games and singing a cappella, was attending the Boston Festival of Indie Games. I have interviewed its founder here on the show and also attending PAX East, which many people have gone to from the show. But you went to both of these events as an exhibitor. So what was it like to attend these events, which I assume you'd been to before as an attendee, but now you were on the other side of the table? Yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy um, because Boston Fig and PAX East were also some of the things that did contribute to uh, me wanting to go into game development because um, I, I had I had family up in Massachusetts and there was one point where we were uh, we were in Massachusetts at the same time that PAX East was going on, but I didn't know about PAX East until I had gotten home. And when I found out, you know, as an avid game player, when I found out that there had been a gaming convention in the state, like a mere like 10 miles from where I had been, I was astonished. And I I was like, I have to go next year. I got to go. I got to go. Um, and and I went and uh, it was, it was, you know, I, as you can imagine to, to, you know, some, a, a young, a young lass of high school who just has, lived in a town where nobody else really played video games. Uh, absolutely astonishing experience. Uh, being on the other side of the table, completely different. I don't know which I prefer, to be honest. Probably being an exhibitor. I, I like I, I like organizing things. Uh, I, <laughs> like I, uh, I, I, I try to keep very organized whenever I do stuff. And I, I like helping out people. And I like running stuff. I, it just feels good to... Uh, it feels good to me, you know, when you go to an event or you, you complete a task or something like that. Um, I like organizing stuff. And so when I got the opportunity to help organize WPI's appearance at both PAX East and Boston Fig, uh, it was you know super exciting for me, uh, especially because I had uh, two good pals, Grant and Jordan, to help me out. But it's, it's, it's completely different. It is way more exhausting <laughs> because you have to be on all the time. Like, you know, if there are people nearby, you're smiling, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to get them to come play your video game. Um, you are on all the time. But it's also a lot more fun in that you've, it, it, presumably when you go there, at least it, this was the case for me, you know, you, you're part of this greater game development community. And, you know, you'll, you'll see people who, you know, there, and that's super exciting where like, you know, you get, you get your 10 minutes off of the booth and you can go over and like heckle your friends at a different booth um, and be like, ah, oh, how's it going? And you can talk about how the game's going. Ah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. It feels like being part of a secret club. It does sound exhausting. Everything you said about organizing it and being on, I mean, I've done those things at other events and I wouldn't want to do it the whole time because I would feel like I'd be taken away from being present to enjoy the event. I hope that yeah. exhibiting was the minority of your time at an event like PAX. So for the, I actually, I helped uh, exhibit at PAX for WPI twice. The first time I was on, maybe not most of the time, but it was uh, either me, Grant or Jordan, the, the two guys I was with 
one of us had to be at the booth at all times. So I guess like I was there a third of the time because, you know, the other two thirds of the time they were there. And the second time I was mostly just there to kind of supervise in case something went pear shaped. So that time I I got to walk around and enjoy the event more. And I definitely would say as much as I do enjoy (laughs) exhibiting, being on all the time, as you said, is completely exhausting. So I, I I like, I, I agree. I like having that time when possible to, go and uh to 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 go and explore the event i've been to a lot of smaller events like demo nights and stuff in the area where i i was the only one on my team there and i have to you know be by the computer the whole time and that as much as and i like exhibiting that's a lot less fun because you can't go around and talk to people and experience the event like you said were you showing your own games at these events or were you showing your classmates etc so the first time i was at pax east i think it was other people's games um, the second time, uh, two of my games were there actually. <laughs> and the, and at Boston fig, uh, one of mine was there also. Yeah. So it was a mixture of it, but mostly I was showing at least one of my games. And when you're showing your own games, is the goal either to like, to get it published or is it more to attract people to attend WPI? The goal for WPI is definitely for showing that is to get people to attend WPI. Uh, the goal for me is to uh, get people to see that my game is good, <laughs> including at, at least for the, at the time for me, employers. Um, actually, I had a crazy thing that happened to me at, at Boston Fig where I was showcasing uh, one of my games was like Friend Sighting, which is a, about uh, a Mothman going to a school for monsters. Um and some guy and his kid came up and his kid just sat down and started playing. And, you know, he just started talking to me and I, uh, and he uh, said something about 3d modeling to me and I just thought he was being nice. And, was just, and we were just chatting and, and, and having a good time. Um, and his, his kid finished with the game, got up and, and he turned to me and he said, well, anyways, uh, I'm the president of Fable Vision. So if you ever want to, you know, like if we're, we're if you ever want like a portfolio review or something like that, you know, we're we're doing a, an event in the future. Here's my card, and he, he walked away, and I was just stunned. Wow, <laughs> that's the kind of thing I, I want to happen at those events. Yeah, you never really know who you're talking to. So many of the people who contribute to video games aren't rock stars in the sense that you would recognize if you were walking down the street. So you have to be nice to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. So your education at WPI had so many of these wonderful experiences right up until the end, just like a month and a half, two months before graduation, boom, global pandemic. Oh yeah. A a big oof there, a really rough time. So I imagine even in as digital a realm as interactive media and game design, you're still on campus. You're still attending classes for the first you know, three and three quarters of your education. What happened this time last year when all of a sudden everything changed? Yeah, I honestly, I kept on saying to my friends, because I had some friends who were engineers, I just kept on saying, I'm really grateful uh, that the IMGD faculty at WPI know how to use a computer. <laughs> Because there's so many engineers who, uh, engineering professors who don't. Um, honestly, all things considered, I felt like the transition to remote was was pretty good. Because, um, like you said, it's it's a very digital realm. Obviously, it's not quite the same, but a lot of a, a lot of the the environment can be emulated. I think the 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 most difficult part was like 
you know, a lot of times you're you're in IMGD, you go to the lab or something, uh, or you know, you're in, in a, a room full of people working on stuff, and you can just say, "Hey, I'm I'm having a problem," and and someone like either another student or a professor will come over to help you, um, and that's a lot harder to do uh, when you know you're remote because um, it. It's not the same as being in a room and just waving your hand and having someone help you. You have to, you know, message someone, and then you have to wait for them to get back. Or even if you're in a call, it's it's still a whole thing. Um, but I felt like the transition was, like all things considered, pre- pretty fine. Um, I I would imagine that it gets more frustrating for everyone when you're there longer. But for me, it was you know it was just the last uh, like it was the last half of the semester, so it was, it was fine. Yeah, at that point, you've had most of your education behind you, and you're just in the home stretch. As you and I were chatting before the podcast, it's good that you were able to graduate at that time and not like a year or two later. Because if you were in the middle of your academic career when the pandemic happened, that is significantly more disruptive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, not only was your education in progress, but so was some games that you were working on, specifically The Call of Karen. That is a team that you were working on of about four people. So what did the pandemic do to that specific project? Yeah, that one was definitely, uh, that, that was quite a transition because we had been meeting in person before, before the pandemic struck. We've been meeting in person something like three or four days a week. Um, we 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 met like every single day just to to give an update on here's what we're doing today and you know here's here's how things are going and here's what the plan is you know basically a, a little mini stand up and we and and we did uh, lab time for the call of Karen too where we would like sit together and just work uh you know in, in the same vicinity so if we were we had questions or you know wanted to get a second pair of eyes on things we could and that was a lot harder to do after uh the pandemic struck um it was also incredibly difficult because uh we were you know we were in the home stretch of that game uh but also you you're grappling with pandemic uh and you're grappling with senioritis which i mean like we we all really wanted to to get the game done but also like there comes a point where you're doing remote learning and you're like in zoom calls and you're like enough is enough yep (laughs) um uh, like we were all super dedicated, but we were also getting fatigued. Um, and it was, it was, it was very disruptive, but I'm, I'm super grateful that the team was super hardworking. Everyone was, was, like I said, very dedicated to the project and we did manage, uh, manage to get it done. And, and I, I felt like, a, I'm, I'm very proud of the product that we, we ended up putting out there. Did you have a deadline you were working toward? And if so, did it get pushed? Uh, yeah, our deadline vaguely was we would like this game to be on Steam uh, after we complete it, and we would like to complete it, um, and and we would like to complete it by the end of the year. That was that was our goal starting out. Was we we want uh, a game that is done. Um, we want a game that is 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 done after the end of the academic year. Uh, we kind of made it i mean like so the game was fully playable and i guess a minimum viable product you could say i mean it was it was pretty buggy at some points um but uh we did we did have a completed game uh at the end at the i guess it was the beginning of may was when school ended we did have a completed game there um but we did end up working on it for about another month or two i, I don't actually remember the exact date but we ended up working on it 
for a bit longer to get it all polished up for Steam and and wide release and all that. And I understand it's done not badly on Steam. You had about 70,000 downloads. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. It's crazy. We actually hit 90,000 the other day and we didn't notice. (laughs) Oh, wow. Pretty soon you'll be in the six digits. I hope so. That'll be crazy. (laughs) So this game, it's for Windows. It's completely free. Anybody can grab it from Steam. What is The Call of Karen? Uh, The Call of Karen is a game about a 1950s suburban housewife whose home is being invaded by Cthulhu. It's kind of like Cooking Simulator, but with more eldritch horror. Uh, yeah, you you play as Karen, your 1950s suburban housewife, and uh, you've got to keep your house in order uh, and deal with your family as your life descends into madness. So this is a first-person perspective game where Cthulhu is invading your home? Yes, yes. That's amazing. What sort of games did you play, if any, for inspiration? I can imagine maybe like Cthulhu Saves the World or Eternal Darkness. Weirdly enough, neither of those. Oh, dang. <laughs> weirdly enough, weirdly enough, no Cthulhu games <laughs> for inspiration. Ah. I know, really well, because it's it's like a comedy game. Um, so it's so I I I have <laughs> I love uh, I I loved watching Let's Players in high school, and so I loved loved watching them, you know, do stuff like Surgeon Simulator, Octodad, uh, all that. And uh, so I, I watched tons of those games with like silly controls, or if not silly controls, then just a very silly premise. Um, and the main inspiration for this game was, hold on, I gotta Google it. I gotta find the name. It was like I think it was Mother Simulator. Yeah, it was Mother Simulator. I'd seen a Let's Play of Mother Simulator, and and it's this it's this game that's like incredibly it's 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 so silly. Like it's just you you have a robot baby and you have and you just it's like first person perspective and it's like really like erratic. You have a baby and sometimes the baby wants stuff and you run around the house and you just do stuff with it uh, and like you're trying to you know you. you the baby's like, oh, I changed my diaper and you have to like drop the baby in the crib and then run over and snatch up the diaper and like throw it at the baby. And it's, it's, it's just very chaotic. Um, and, and, uh, and very simple. That was the other thing I liked about it. It was very chaotic, very simple and, and very funny. Um, and so we, that was actually probably our biggest comparable, but we always tell people cooking simulator because more people know cooking simulator uh, and uh, not to dunk on Mother Simulator, because full respect to the people who inspired the Call of Karen, but uh, uh, but Cooking Simulator is 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 a, a bit more polished. Since you mentioned having a comparable, is that something that you have to research anytime you're pitching a game in a class at WPI? And also, was this game for a class? Uh, so this game, well, to answer the first question. Um, Comparables, uh, not necessarily. I, I don't think I've researched comparables at WPI outside of you know my own games and such. Um, I yeah, I don't know if that was something. I I would imagine that uh, my experience differs from other people because uh, you know different faculty teach different classes and everyone has their own thing. So I think there there was a class that I was uh, a teacher's assistant for where they did do that. Um, but I, I didn't uh, I, I didn't for any of my classes. That was stuff that I learned uh, when I was making my own games. And then like I didn't, I went to the Mass Digi Game Challenge, which is a local pitching competition, and I, I saw what they were doing and I was like, hmm, I should probably be doing that same thing. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, 
as for whether the call of Karen was made for a class. Uh, so the call of Karen, uh, technically was my, uh, major qualifying project, which is like you know, your, your capstone at WPI. Um, but we actually started work on the call of Karen, um, uh, about six months before we were, you know, going to get any credit for it. Uh, I got the team together uh, and I sat them down and I was like, look, I, I think I, I, I would really like for this game. This is my one goal for this game is we want to make a, a game and we want it to be good and we want it to be released on Steam and be like, you know, good enough to be released on Steam. It's kind of a, a vague phrase because a lot of things get released on steam but you know we want it to to meet a certain standard of quality and so uh i sat them down and they they were all super on board with it and so we actually uh the school year started in uh late august and we started work on the call of karen uh just just you know early planning out stuff no uh you know no no uh you know no prototypes or anything like that but we started work on the call of karen in february of that same year so we had been working on it for a while one of the reasons i ask about comparables or comparables is because sometimes people think i have no comparables this has never been done before it's a unique idea that the world is going to love because they've never seen anything like it when from a marketing perspective what you actually want is to say here are the games that are like mine and how mine's going to be better if there are no comparables, that's probably because it's a terrible idea and nobody <laughs> wants to do something like this. Yes, that was that was something I heard a lot uh, at like I because I went to the Mass Digi Game Challenge when I was like a sophomore, which in pitching competition, uh, and I had no I had no clue what I was doing. Um, but I stayed to watch the finals, uh, and I saw what they were all doing, and I was like taking notes. And then after that, when I went to go for the next year. Um, I, uh, I, you know, started researching everything and I, the, the phrase that I kept on hearing was exactly as you say, where you want your game to be, it's like this, but this, um, or, you know, and preferably the, but this is better. Right. So call of Karen, you were on a team of four and in that team, you yourself took on the roles of producer, designer, and environment artist. And you have worn many hats before, as such as when you worked on Lead the Light, you were a lead artist, audio coordinator, and designer. So of all these hats that you have worn, which one fit the best? Which one did you enjoy the most? Mm, that is such a good question. I think, honestly, I, I, I have to say I like being a designer the most. There are aspects of all of those roles that I really liked. Uh, but I, I really, uh, I just love design. It's, it, I, I can't even fully articulate it. I don't know of, of how much I, or like the particular reasons that I like design. Um, I think it's just fun to have an idea and see it come together. But that makes design sound too much like you know you're the idea person or whatever. I, I, I love, I love doing design. Um, I, because I, I feel like with design, I mean, of course, all parts of the. Uh, you know, all game development disciplines have a significant impact on the actual experience that the player is having. Um, but what I like about design is that, uh, you know, you have a lot of, when, with design, you get to be very, like, hyper-specific about, here's here's what I want and here's how the player should be feeling and, you know, here's how all of these systems come together to make this a full cohesive experience. And you have to really be thinking about the big picture. And I love that. I, I, I think that's great. 
Um, I have so much fun with that. So with all these job titles that you've had, you clearly know how to do a lot of different things. I would normally describe a person like that as a jack of all trades or a Jill of all trades. You describe yourself as a nightmare jack of all trades, (laughs) which at first I thought, is that a term I've never heard before? And I Googled it and I got a lot of hits about the nightmare before Christmas. So (laughs) no, I don't think I'm missing something. What is a nightmare before Christmas and why does that have such a negative connotation? Yeah, I I will often introduce myself uh, as a nightmare jack of all trades. Um, I I want to clarify that I think that there's nothing wrong with being a jack of all trades. I I think it's great to to know how to do a lot of things. In fact, it's helped me a lot in every single job I have been at. It has helped me so much to know how to do a lot of things. But the problem uh, that I have heard from a lot of people, uh, you know, like faculty, professionals, bosses, whatever. Um, the, the thing is, is that uh, a lot of times when uh, uh, what I've been told a lot of times when you say a jack of all trades or I'm a jack of all trades, the impression that sometimes people walk away with is, oh, you can't focus or Oh, like, you know, you like a lot of things, but you're not actually good at one thing. Uh, I think for indies, from what I understand for indies, that's actually not so bad as to, you know, be good at a lot of things. I I think for everywhere, it's good to be good at a lot of things. But for indies, it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, why would I hire? um, Why would I hire one really good artist who doesn't know anything about coding when I could hire someone who can both do art and code, you know? Um, But for a lot of game development jobs, I, I... I think they they want you to specialize more. That was just the impression that I got, and you know what I've heard. Um, so uh, I will I will jokingly describe myself as as a nightmare jack of all trades, especially because it also took me a while to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. So I just had my hand in this, had my hand in that, and I got pretty good at at things. But uh, it, it it took me a while to get there. <laughs> So even though you do describe yourself as a nightmare jack of all trades, if you are at an industry event and you are talking with a potential employer and they were to ask you, like, what kind of role are you looking for or what aspect of game development do you enjoy the most? You wouldn't just say, oh, anything and everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I uh I, I I usually go with designer and producer for that one, but uh, now but now that I've got a design job, I'm probably just going to stick to saying designer. <laughs> that makes sense. Although you, I'm glad that that's the role that you were looking for because there tends to be a lot of inertia in any person's career, regardless of the industry. Where if you have two or three jobs in a row that are the same kind of job, you're probably going to get pigeonholed when people look at your resume, and you're going to keep getting jobs like that. So. It can be difficult to switch tracks once you are outside of academia. I, I, I have found. Yeah, no, I've I heard that too. So I'm super grateful that uh, I'm I'm super grateful that I have the job I have now. However, what does that mean for your minor in music that you got from WPI? You do still write music, including for a recent compilation, World Tour, and you have been a contract sound designer. Do you see this coming into play in your role now as a game designer? Um, it's uh, definitely another one of those areas where I found it's, it's useful to know, uh, like it, it, it's, it's, it's been helpful to me to keep audio in mind, you know, when I've, I've been working on any game, but, uh, when I've been working on doing live ops for project winner as well. Um, but, uh, I, I'm honestly a little bit 
torn about where my future lies with music. I love writing music. Uh, I think writing music's great. I like sound too, uh, like just overall sound design too, but I, I like music the most. Um, but I don't fully know how, how much I would love to be, a, I would like to be a musician full time. Um, I think music is, is a thing that I just really, I, I have a very specific way of writing music and I have a very uh, specific like style of music that I like. Um, like I like stuff with uh, a, a lot of instruments and I like stuff that has a very strong melody uh, and, you know, not every game or project or anything is looking for that. So I'm, I'm happy to, to, you know, write music as, as, as opportunities and stuff becomes available to me or just as, you know, as, as, as the whims hit me. <laughs> what about being a remix artist and contributing to OC remix? Is that something you would consider doing? That is honestly, I, I actually, uh, you know, when I was in acapella, I did, uh, a lot of arrangements of songs, um, for both the Technicords and other groups. Um, so I, I, I like, uh, I like writing music a lot, but I also like, you know, doing different renditions of, uh, of other people's songs too. So that would honestly, I could, I could see myself doing that if I brushed up my skills a bit more. I would love that. I love the remixes that that website puts out. My only complaint is that we don't need more remixes of Chrono Trigger, Mega Man <laughs> 2, Super Mario 3, like Castlevania 3. Like I love those games. I love those soundtracks. I <laughs> we don't need a 127th remix of it. You, yeah, you said we don't need more remixes of and I my brain went, "Oh, he's going to say Mega Man 2." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of them. I mean, again, there's a reason people remix it so often, but... Great soundtrack, but... <laughs> yeah, I would like a little variety, please. So, so with all these different skills and with this amazing, wonderful degree from WPI, you finally landed, yay, congratulations, a game designer role at Other Ocean Interactive, which is the developers of such games as Super Monkey Ball, IDARB, Medieval, and many others. So what was it like looking for a job during a pandemic? Oh, I mean, people told me it was going to be bad, but I I didn't realize quite how bad it was going to be. I had been told, you know, throughout my entire career at WPI, it's going to be hard to find a job. It's difficult to get a job in games. Um, and, you know, I, I, I heard that and I thought it is, but I think I can do it. Um, and uh, and and then pandemic hit and uh, it, it, it was rough twofold. Um it, it, because so much of game development from what i understand is and finding a job is uh is is who you know you know it's 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 reaching out through your network of connections because it's a lot easier to get an interview at a place where you you know someone um and the thing is is not only is it already tough enough to you know go looking for anything in the the greater boston area uh, as a game development graduate because as much as i love absolutely love the game development community in the greater boston area uh it's it it's not as big as you know places like you know la or san francisco or you know miscellaneous other places um and a lot of the companies are small so not all of them are are hiring uh and so the pandemic hits and a lot of those small companies are the ones that are potentially struggling a bit more. Um, and unfortunately that's where I know people. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so that was really tough. I applied to, I, I sent out uh, other ocean was my 80th application. 
Um, <laughs> do they know that? <laughs> I don't think they do. Uh, <laughs> Other Ocean was my 80th application, and I want to say like my like 10th interview, maybe maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, and uh, whew, it was it 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 took it took like eight months. Uh, so it it was I think it was eight months. Yeah, it it was a while. Um, it was it was brutal, honestly. I I only hope that it it gets less brutal for for more people. And I like to think that it would have been different if the pandemic um, hadn't hit. Uh, but I'm also grateful because if the pandemic hadn't hit, I don't know if I would have gotten the job that I have now. Because uh, Other Ocean uh, like told me they were like we uh, we don't usually do uh, remote work for people who aren't like seniors, but you know, everyone's remote now. So why not? Well, that's one of the questions I had, which was the pandemic has accelerated the trend toward remote work, which means that you're no longer limited to applying for jobs in Boston. You can apply anywhere. The downside is that it also means that employers can hire from anywhere. So you're now competing on a global scale. So, this is an entirely remote job and you weren't like flown in to meet anybody you're and you haven't met any of your coworkers yet. Yeah. I, uh, I only know my coworkers through discord. Uh, and I think I've only spoken face to face and by face to face, I mean, you know, video call to video call with, I want to say like six of them. And I work with a team of, uh, I'm not good with numbers, but like 20. Um, so, uh, yeah, it has definitely been a different experience than like when I worked for like Firehose or MassDigi or anything like that. And what has that experience been like so far? I know you've only been there for a few months and I want to, I'm asking at this moment specifically about the remote aspect. My job is also fully remote. It has been since before the pandemic, but it's the first time I've ever held a job like that. And you noted earlier about how it's difficult when you can't just, you know, flag somebody down to come over and look at your work. But when you don't have a manager who's accessible to you or somebody else who's looking over your shoulder and you are very much more self-sufficient to meet your own goals and deadlines. How has it been with your first fully remote full-time job? I like to think of myself as pretty disciplined. So I actually do all right with, with uh, less structure. Um, but uh, I will say they, I, I feel like they, uh, they've done a really great job of, of onboarding me and everything. Uh, you know they they've been super supportive of of all all of the remote stuff <laughs> like there was a time where like my VPN wasn't working or whatever and because I was in the states and they're in Canada and I was like ah and uh, and you know all these people were reaching out to me and trying to help me out um, you know whenever I have a question I can just pop it in in the uh, in the right channel or like DM someone and they usually get back to me pretty quickly uh, they've they've been they've been a really great team to work with so far I'm super grateful for all of them. And what was it that attracted you to Other Ocean Interactive? Was it the kinds of games that they do, the good reviews on a website like Glassdoor.com, the fact that they had an opening for a game designer? <laughs> the last one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, the, no, the, one of the things that actually attracted me to Other Ocean was kind of that jack-of-all-trades thing uh, you were talking about earlier. They're, you know, they, Other Ocean's interesting because they're kind of a... a a big company, but also a small company. Like they've got, you know, different offices everywhere, but not all of those offices are huge. Um, and not nothing like, you know, a triple a company, uh, like a, like a big, massive, you know, sprawling teams of like hundreds of people. Um, and, and I liked, 
I, you know, I looked at other oceans portfolio and one of the things that I liked was that other ocean had a lot of different projects, but also all of them were like good. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, as someone who likes to do a lot of things and, and explore a lot of, uh, a lot of different projects. Um, I, that, that was, that was something that, that really appealed to me. Hmm. Uh, and the other thing was, uh, you know, the, the, I was drawn to it because of project winner, which is the, the game I do live ops for it's, uh, you know, social deception game. It's like, uh, among us meets don't starvish. Uh, that, that's the, the general vibe. Um, and I love deception games. One of the last things I did before, uh, the pandemic hit was like organize a werewolf night with friends. So. Oh gosh, deception games are not one of my strong suits. Like Secret <laughs> Hitler, I I'm just no good at them. Oh, well, I'm terrible at lying, but I have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, when you said you do live ops, what is that? Ah, uh, yeah, I do live operations. So, uh, basically, a project winner uh, is a game that you know is. It, it it's it requires multiplayer servers, uh, you know, eight people in them, and or it requires a multiplayer server because there are games with up to eight people, and people are playing it. I mean, people are playing Project Winner right now, <laughs> uh, like the and it's been out for since 2019, I believe, and people are still playing it, and uh, we've been doing updates to the game, you know, so both stuff like you know bug fixes, of course. But also, you know, new cosmetics and also gameplay changes. So this most recent update, we just uh, we just dropped a, a map with a brand new mechanic, um, and so uh, we we keep on doing content updates to keep both old players playing and new players interested uh, or like entice new players into the game. Um, so uh, I work on you know the content for those updates. So you know w- what's coming next and. Uh, what you know what we're gonna give to players to keep them playing keep them coming oh so i myself don't have an xbox or a windows machine so i had not encountered project winter before but when i do a google search i don't know where google is pulling from but in the results it says 94 percent of people like this video game that's a really good track record I, I sure hope that's true. I I would I say that like it's not true. Like I, I we have a really active Discord server that people are constantly popping off in. Like we've got a very active and, and dedicated community fan base. I would hope people like this game because and I don't say this just because I work on it. I really like the game. I I actually play it with my friends in my free time sometimes. It's a lot of fun. Um uh but we have, we have a surprisingly active uh fan base. I say surprisingly not as though it's a surprise because again the game's good, but surprisingly because I think Other Ocean hadn't had their own independent IP, uh, they hadn't had a hit for their own independent IP really, and until this one, as I understand it. And uh, also, again, the game released I think in 2019, and people mm-hmm. are still playing it. People are still pretty regularly playing it, which is crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the Steam page, which is the Windows version. It has a very positive rating based on a lifetime of 11,011 reviews. Uh, and that dates back to May 23rd, 2019, its release. So f- almost two years ago. And I love the art style now that I'm looking at it. it. This seems like a lot of fun. Is it a game that you were playing even before you applied for this job? I don't know how, but it somehow hadn't crossed my radar, which is crazy because I'd been playing a ton of Among Us and we'd been playing like Secret Hitler and uh, all, all these miscellaneous other social deception games. So I have no idea how I somehow, how I never managed to come across Project Winter. 
Um, but uh, I, you know, the moment I, I got the job, I, I told my friends, I was like, hey, you know, I'm working on this game. And they were like, well, we're playing it immediately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so now uh, and, and now I, I, I play Project One with my friends sometimes. And it's very fun to be able to uh, to 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 play, you know, a game you're working on with your friends. <laughs> as long as it doesn't feel like work at that point. <laughs> yeah, but it's still fun. So. Now, the way that Other Ocean is divided, are you working exclusively on this game or do they have you on multiple projects? Right now, I work exclusively on this one. Um, you know, Other Ocean has all sorts of other stuff going on, as you would imagine with, you know, a game company. But uh, right now, I am I am Project Winterbound. Cool. And do you have a sense for how long that assignment will last? I, I know that I can't ask you about like things that other ocean hasn't announced yet, but do you have a sense for where your career at other ocean is going, even though you've only been there a few months? Um, not yet. Uh, I, right, right now I am like, I'm on the roadmap for until like the end of the year. Like, but, uh, who knows what's going to happen before then after that mystery. Cool. Well, that's exciting. I have, uh, we're, we're coming up on almost an hour, and there's one other topic I wanted to broach. I know that we could talk a lot more about Other Ocean and your work there, but I also want to touch upon, you mentioned that when you were at WPI, you were the president of the WPI chapter of the IGDA, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't called that, but it was called that immediately after I left. <laughs> <laughs> they waited until you left. <laughs> immediately after I left the club, to clarify, not the school. <laughs> I, well, I was still in the club. I was a whole thing. after I stopped being the president of it. There it is. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, okay. And then after, or at some point, you also got involved with Boston Postmortem, which I understand is basically the Boston chapter of the IGDA. Is that correct? Yes, that is right. So I've been to a couple of Boston Postmortem talks myself uh, in Kendall Square in Cambridge. I uh, clearly they're not there anymore during the pandemic. They're presumably online. But for those who have not had the pleasure, what is Boston Postmortem? Uh, yeah, so Boston Postmortem traditionally bills itself as like games and grog once a month, <laughs> um, and uh, once a month we'll usually get a speaker, um, round everyone up, and we'll have people talk. Sometimes it's actually a postmortem. Sometimes it's just a you know informative topic. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll have, we'll have people get together, they can network, uh, and we'll have people and, and then, you know, we learn from each other. Uh, and I love that. I think it's great. <laughs> and you're still doing these events on a monthly basis. They've just now migrated to an online platform. Yeah, we, we still do the, uh, we still do talks, uh, once a month, but we also are experimenting with other kinds of events too, uh, because, as you can imagine, the pandemic has changed the face of, you know, game development and game development networking a bit. So uh, we most recently are, well, the event before this last one we did, it was a developer stream. So we brought on three game developers uh, who are well-established in the area and we had them do a live stream of what they were working on, you know, all indie devs. So no mystery spooky nda stuff <laughs> um and we had them all live stream what they were working on for uh for the audience so people could see it and ask questions and see how you know a professional developer works on their stuff uh and potentially pick up some tips and all that 
and that ended up being really uh working out really well and we've done i think similar things in the past with having people like artists live stream their work uh, uh, usually you know in a classroom or something on a big screen but it was it was definitely different having it over uh, having it online um and i think it actually worked out a little bit better that way it was a little less chaotic we would have had to have gotten you know three rooms before and now we can do three discord channels yeah, it's much easier to move between virtual spaces than it is between physical ones. And also, of course, to reserve the event space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is your role as an organizer for BPM? Uh, it's been joked that I'm the unofficial secretary because <laughs> every time we have a every time we have a meeting, uh, I forget things constantly. I have no brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I don't remember stuff and I will always pull up a google doc and i'll be frantically typing just every everything that everyone's saying um but uh i have also become a a discord my a discord maestro because we were hosting our annual holiday party around the time that i i joined up with boston postmortem uh and we were hosting our annual holiday party uh with all of the other game development groups so boston indies bug all that uh, and so we were hosting our annual holiday party and we were doing it in our discord server. And I said something about, Oh yeah, I have a friend who has a bot, like a custom discord bot that can potentially help us organize, uh, the channels for this. Um, and put, and, and one thing led to another and suddenly I was doing a lot of discord stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and then, you know, in, in addition to that, all of the organizers get a hand in, uh, you know, helping come up with events and wrangling speakers. Although uh, Lauren and Alyssa uh, are, usually do most of the speaker speaker wrangling. So speaking of speakers for BPM, I know that they do most of the wrangling, but I'm wondering if you have any insight into what sort of criteria they look for when choosing speakers, or that can be either what kind of topic they want to talk about. Like if you just had somebody talking about audio design last month, you don't want to do it again this month, but is audio design a good topic? For example, uh, are you looking at like the demographics of the speakers? Are you looking at how well known they are and any of that? Yeah. Um, a lot of it does honestly, to some degree come down to who do we know and who's, uh, and who's working on cool stuff that they might want to share. Um, because it, it is easier to wrangle someone that you than you uh, that you know than <laughs> that you don't. This is true. But it, but also, uh, you know, in addition to that, we we want our, our talks to be useful. Like we want people to get something out of them. Um, you know, we 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 want people to to learn stuff. And the thing is, is that uh, you know, Boston Postmortem is of course open to you know students and professionals alike. But ideally, we are useful to both of them, not just one or the other. Uh, you know, of course, students have the most to learn. But, you know, we want professionals to come and feel like they got something out of it, too. So that's definitely something we really try to keep in mind with all of our events is, you know, how can we make this uh, make this topic or, you know, this uh, this event just the most helpful and the most interesting to people, you know, of all game development backgrounds, AAA, indie, uh, student, like veteran, all that. When you look at your audience, would you say that any one of those demographics is more represented? Like, is it mostly the speaker's peers? Is it mostly students from the many fine colleges in Boston and central Massachusetts who are trekking in for the event? Hmm. 
Uh, honestly, it varies a, a fair bit. We we usually get a solid mixture of like of of uh, pretty established Boston developers and uh, and people from other groups as well, like Boston Boston Indies organizers or Bug organizers, uh, and you know, of course, a fair amount of students. I think actually since uh, since the pandemic has started and we've moved all our meetups to remote, uh, my impression from the Boston postmortem meetings I attended, you know, before uh, all of that happened, <laughs> my impression is that we actually get potentially more students now because uh, we did. Ha- there are several uh, game development schools in the greater Boston area. But you got to make like a trek out there on a weeknight. And if you don't have a car, if you don't have money for the train, then uh, it it takes a while to get there. So, yeah, especially on a school night, because then BPM gets out at like nine, ten o'clock and then you have to catch the 1020 train home from South Station and you get home at midnight. Yeah, it's not ideal. Have you found that moving the events online has expanded the audience to people outside Massachusetts? Are you seeing attendees from some of the places you mentioned, like San Francisco, Los Angeles, Texas? We don't see that many attendees from places uh, like that far outside of New England or anything like that, uh, mostly because we, we mainly bill our events uh, you know, we, we we don't necessarily do outreach or anything like that to to those places. Uh, not that we wouldn't be welcome to anyone from uh, from those places coming to our events, but we're you know we're we're Boston postmortem. <laughs> we're trying right. to reach people in the Boston area. But I can definitely say that we have gotten some more people uh, from outside of the general Boston area because I am one of those people. I have been displaced to Connecticut. And, you know, even when I was in the Boston area, aside from when I lived in Cambridge to work at Firehose, uh, I was in Worcester. And so I couldn't always make it out there. I tried as much as I could. Um, But, you know, it it was definitely a lot tougher, like we were talking about. So, uh, you know, I I am in Connecticut right now, and I can still, you know, help out with organizing Boston postmortem and come to all the events. And that's great. I love that. I, I actually hope that in the future, even when things go back to uh, to quote unquote normal, I hope that we'll still be able to maintain at least some level of outreach through online stuff so we can can get more people who can't necessarily come in person. That's one of the nice things about everything being entirely online is that when there's an in-person event and it's live streamed online, that definitely makes it more accessible to people who can't make it to the physical event. But there's still a disconnect where people are having two different experiences. Some people are experiencing it in person. Some people are experiencing it online. Right now, it's a level playing field where you're all having the same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely there's no perfect solution, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I I do hope though that we can still maintain at least some level of of online stuff because even though it, it definitely is different, I feel like there are a lot of people that end up like missing out because of you know either they can't make it like because of school or potentially you know. Uh, we've got a lot of game developers who are who are becoming parents now in the Boston uh, in the Boston area, and it's a lot harder, uh, from what I understand, to you know get out to an event at like nine at night when you've you've got a kid at home. Sure. Um, so uh, so I, I I'm I'm hoping that even though that gap will still definitely be there, I'm hoping that it will will be able to either mitigate it or some way, or at least still be able to keep it accessible for. You know, people who don't maybe don't have the time or resources to come in person, but do have a computer and an internet connection. 
Do you have a timeline for when in-person events might resume? I remember everyone was talking about, uh, like, uh, like, oh, man, uh, weird how PAX East is going to be in person, right? But PAX East isn't happening anymore. Right. Um, so, honestly, I have no idea. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet. We've mostly just been talking about, you know, how to make the situation work as it is now. Uh, so, at, at some point, you know, we'll presumably return to in-person activities, but we don't know when yet. Yeah, PAX East was originally scheduled for early March of 2021. They pushed it back to early June of 2021 and just last week announced that it will not be held in person at all this year, which I think is the right choice because Mm -hmm. an article in the Washington Post predicts that by July 1st, our country will be 54% vaccinated, which is still short of the minimum 70 to 85% that's needed for herd immunity. So for 70,000 gamers to congregate in early June just did not seem wise or healthy. Yeah, no, it was it was crazy when people were talking about it too because PAX East was for a lot of not even just game developers in the Boston area, but for a lot of game developers in general, PAX East was the last big game development event that happened before you know everything went pear shaped. So it, it it's it, it's crazy to me, and I think to a lot of other people that it's already coming around again. Or I mean, I guess that it's come around and isn't happening. <laughs> Right. Everything has been canceled for almost a year now. And this is the first time that PAX East has been canceled. It took more than a year for the pandemic to finally actually hit PAX East. I'm I'm in the same boat where it was the last normal thing my friends and I all did. And it's the last time I saw a lot of people that I can't wait to see again. Yeah, no, I, I think about it and it seems both so close and so far away. Like, yeah. I can remember it like it was yesterday, but also it was <laughs> ages ago. Yeah, I mean, PAX East ended March 1st, so just like 13 months ago. It seemed like it was, on one hand, only a year, but there have been a lot of years compressed into the last year. <laughs> you are so right about that. <sighs> well, fortunately, I think we're in the home stretch where things are getting better. You know, we're, we're getting vaccinated there are going to be PAXs again someday. You have a great job at Other Ocean Interactive. Things are looking up. There are so many other things we could have talked about in the past hour, so many other games you've worked on. But for those who do want to know more about you and your many accomplishments and experiences, where can they find you online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at, at Dragon Dirigible, Dirigible like a blimp, uh, and Dragon as in a dragon. Uh, my, my website is katelgeen.com, uh, K-A-T-E-O-L-G-U-I-N. Uh, that's, it, it's a little bit out of date now that I, you know, work on at a, at a company, but, um, but it's it, my emails there. If you want to reach out to me for whatever reason, uh, and you know, that those are the main two things I think. Yeah. Twitter website. Yeah. <laughs> Should I ask where the name dragon dirigible comes from? I like dragons, uh, and I was a really big fan. I say was, like, I still don't love it. It was um, uh, this book series called Leviathan by Scott Westerfeld, and it's like alternate history, World War I, and uh, Leviathan is the name of this giant airship that's also like a whale. Um, so, uh, uh, And I, I loved steampunk stuff in high school, so dragon dirigible just ended up working out but nobody knows how to spell it so i've uh i've 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 paid for it (laughs) 
Well, I think it's unique, and I love dragons and dirigibles, so I think it makes perfect sense. Oh, I'm, I'm glad we can be comrades in this way. Yay! So I'll include links to all of those in the show notes for this episode found at polygamer.net. Kate, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. <laughs>